0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher Sean Callahan. Hello
1: again, and welcome to another edition of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. As we're going to talk some basketball, uh, take some questions in the mailbag this week. The Huskers got another new commit from Georgia. We're going to hear all about that. But guys, um, let's kind of get to the story that really took over the weekend last week. And knock on wood, it's a little quieter on that front in college football. But um, it's going to be a big topic. It's going to be a big issue with all of sports as Major League Baseball and the NBA get back to work. But really, college football has become the guinea pig um, as far as just testing large groups of athletes in this country as they come back and and, and work and compete. And they have the resources, obviously, there that maybe high schools don't have right now to test these guys, um, you know, maybe every week or in in multiple groups every week. And we saw a number of programs affected. Kansas State had to shut down college workouts for two weeks. Texas had a number of players um, test positive, Clemson, LSU, Um, I heard rumblings down in Texas Tech They never came out with any news, but it obviously created some panic. Um, I I think it changed some of the dialogue, you know, as far as the season, you know, how do we handle this going forward in the year? And to me, it's going to be something that's not going to go away. And, And that's why I look at these next few weeks. It's so important to keep learning about this and how you need to go about it in order to properly protect your team and handle this as we move into July and August and September.
2: Yeah, for me, it should be zero surprise that there are positive cases and the fact that there's a lot of them in some a lot of them asymptomatic. Yeah. And and because a lot of that is because there's such inconsistent methods being used by school to school. I mean, you have some schools that brought everybody in and just threw everybody all together all at once, where you have schools like Nebraska that are gradually easing people back in and, you know, making sure they're uh, overly cautious. And so, I mean, that's kind of uh, one issue we're dealing with, but really... The biggest factor going forward isn't the fact that you have positive tests is what schools are going to do with those positive tests. What's your response when you have, you know, five or six guys come back positive? I mean, how do you handle that and how do you keep it from spreading to where you're able to at least keep some level of containment? on the situation and that will ultimately decide i think what happens this fall more than anything because like you said sean it's not going away there will continue to be positive cases people are going to come back uh you know for whatever they do in whatever walk of life they have and it's going to be an issue and you have to find a plan that will work to not only address that particular player but to keep it from spreading throughout
3: your team yeah that's that's the biggest thing is to keep it from spreading throughout your team and um, and, and I think to me, it's a lot of it has to do with public perception too. I mean, when when the public is hearing that that players are testing positive and that there's new cases popping up, you know, I, I think there can be a certain amount of panic that all of a sudden sets in. But I mean, what are we talking about here? We're talking. Are, are they're not hospitalizations. They're not like you know these aren't players that are you know instantly put on ventilators. You know, it, it, if the school is handling it properly. They can hopefully contain it and keep it from spreading. Um, And you know, these guys that are that are testing positive aren't, you know, in grave danger of of losing their lives. As far as I as far as I know, so. uh, But I I think a lot of it is going to have to do with how the public is kind of perceiving that. Because if there is panic over this, then then I think that sports in general could be in trouble heading into the fall. And
1: this is my fear, guys. All it takes is one and there could be just one guy with the wrong DNA makeup or something where he is going to be maybe severely hospitalized out of this. And you better believe The Athletic in ESPN and Yahoo Sports. Everyone's going to really make that a huge, huge story when there's one out of tens of thousands of players that maybe has this happen. And, and how will the reaction be and how do you handle that and manage that uh, because it's going to happen, I, I truly believe you probably will see at least one guy hospitalized. I mean, even though know, the statistics show that people in that age category, um, that I don't think there had been a death in the entire SEC footprint, um, you know, in the 18 to 22 category yet. Um, so the, those numbers line up, but um, it, it's just you know there's, there's going to be something that happens here, and it's it's how it, it it's how we react to that and manage that will be also important.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it kind of goes to what Nate was saying where, you know, the, the public response is going to be just as important as what the teams do. I mean, if we're in full blown panic mode, like we were in the spring and uh, get back to shutting everything down. Well, I mean, obviously that answers the question itself. There won't be sports, but if people have a, Understanding, or at least a better grasp of, um, you know, not only, you know, the, the situation re- surrounding the virus, but also there's, you know, established protocols in place that, you know, again, it's about managing and containing, uh, you know, like you said, Sean, there's going to be issues where there's going to be an outlier here or there that is going to make for a pretty startling headline where college football player, you know, hospitalized or even worse with COVID-19, I mean, that that's going to stir some things up. And so managing this thing, I mean, with every potential scenario that comes along, because there's going to be a lot of them, is going to be, you know, the ultimate question that's going to be answered the next couple months.
3: Yeah, I, I wish there was like a, an advisory board or something in college football right now where the, everyone is kind of using the same protocols and the same procedures and, and going step by step. Um, like the it, NCAA, <laughs> well, but we, they, they we, don't have any say over college yeah, football, really. Exactly. So, I mean, but but I feel like if, if everyone was doing the same thing, that then you might be able to, to kind of curb, you know, any potential outbreaks or, or you know, I, I guess just kind of have a better handle on it all. But um, when everyone's doing things differently or, or maybe has, you know, a, a different approach to it, uh, I, I think that's when things could spiral out of control with a, a handful of teams that could potentially impact everybody.
1: And, you know, you're looking at some of these college towns, they're in smaller communities. You know, look look at Ames, Iowa. Look at Riley County, Kansas, where Manhattan's at. They had, like, little to no COVID in those areas. And, you know, then all of a sudden you see a group of 10, 15, 20 guys test, and those county officials are are telling the media, obviously, down there, like, you know, this is why we're getting this spike uh, we didn't have COVID until this happened. So there's a lot of local state politics, too, I think that will come into play in some of these places uh, where COVID hadn't even been an issue. And then all of a sudden the football players come back, and it is an issue. And Scott Frost hit on that with me a couple of weeks ago. He's like, my biggest fear back in March is we're sending all these guys back home into probably, in a lot of cases, not the safest environments. And then now we're going to have them all come back. Um, and and that, that was going to cause some issues. And we, we're seeing that. But... Fingers crossed. Um, Nebraska's done a really good job um, as we're taping this show in Lincoln this week alone. They've only averaged about seven COVID cases per day in Lincoln. Um, So we are seeing the numbers here in Nebraska and Lincoln go down. But obviously, places like Arizona, California, um, Texas, you're seeing spikes um, in some of these places right now. So uh, we will see kind of where this all goes.
2: Yeah, and I think it's just going to be one of those deals. Everybody wants to know, will there be a season? What's the season going to look like? No one. As an answer because no one has any idea what is going to happen a month from now think back like where this discussion was two months ago you know i mean everybody thought that it was the, the end of the world and the plague was going to wipe out the country i mean they thought
1: two million deaths yes. would happen in the country
2: and so i mean obviously we have a, a completely different perspective of the entire situation right now and in another two months we're going to have a completely different perspective than we do right now and so i mean there's no way to answer any of those questions uh no matter what you know, the athletic director or NCAA spokesman or whatever has to say about this. Nobody knows. No one knows anything because the only thing that really is deciding this whole deal is the virus.
3: Yeah, and I think that's the frustrating part about it is that there is no. You know, there's completely. Um, it's all uncertainty, and and then we're learning a little bit more every day. But you know, I, I think that um, you know, I, I'm just glad I don't, I don't have to be the one making the plans or. or all the contingency plans for you know, based off of uh, a million different scenarios, two months from now on, on how things are going to get off the ground or how you're going to operate. Uh, because, I mean, literally right now everything has to be on the table, uh, you know, with how they're going to operate if if and if, if they're able to to do it.
1: I'm I'm confident we'll play in Lincoln. I mean, Lincoln's fine, but it's what about Columbus, Ohio? Yeah. What about Ann Arbor, Michigan? What if they have? Things arise that lead state leaders down a different path. Right. What happens in those? That, that's probably where you you know you worry the most is is other outside factors that are out of Nebraska's control. We're just talking about Nebraska um, that, that you worry about.
2: Yeah, and so I think that there we, we all agree that we're confident there will be some form of football season this year. What will look like and how many we'll, people will be there? Is we don't know. It, I am pretty confident in saying it will look nothing like the traditional. Nebraska football season that we've seen. I think it's just going to be one of those deals where week to week, it could look different than what we thought it could be.
1: And budget cuts um, have already happened um, at Nebraska. You know, they're going to trim about 10% of the budget. Um, A number of great people that we know, um, you know, are retiring or moving on um, from Nebraska. um, And, you know, they're, they're victims to COVID-19 as well. I mean, you talk about how many people this has impacted with jobs and things out there and the Nebraska athletic departments had to make some very, very difficult decisions Mm -hmm um with the budget i can tell you that cheerleaders for example will not travel this year and go on road games um i think that might be even a big 10 mandate um just little things like that that they're they're going to cut areas where they can cut so mm-hmm. it, you know it, i'm guessing a bull you know like let's just say we get to a bowl game yeah. <laughs> I would. but let's just say we get a bowl trip i i don't envision seeing you know, the big the big bowl party, you know, no. that goes out. Because, number one, the, big pep rally the money. Like they, They're not going to be able to spend that additional money, um, you know, on that kind of stuff anymore. So, like, what would a bowl season even look like if we get to there? I mean, there's things like that I wonder about.
2: Well, yeah, especially considering a lot of those bowl games are in places that are now the highest-hit places in the country. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I just want – there to be some semblance of
1: football. That's all I'm asking. Just give me it, a game. Like, hey, I Shrine mean, Bowl's on July eleventh. Even
2: no <laughs> even if Nebraska has to go play Doan or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> let's just get let's just get football players on a football field throwing a football around and at least give me some semblance of normalcy. I'm sure
1: Midland Lutheran or Midland College Nate with Jamrock, they would they would take the um, the four hundred thousand dollar guarantee uh, check to I play. I was
3: thinking about that actually just a couple days ago, like, okay, what if what if the schedule looked like Midland and Peru and Doan and like Wasburg, yep. yeah, unk, and then you
1: give them like a three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand dollar check to play. I mean, yeah, I mean,
3: it's I guess it's not crazy to think that just you have know, a Nebraska State Championship. Yeah, that there might be, you know, yeah, Nebraska State Championship, or there might be, you know, a, like a two hundred mile travel limit. You know, yeah. if you could piece together a schedule within a couple hundred miles of, sure. of Lincoln, so Iowa
1: State, Kansas, Kansas State, South Dakota State. Iowa, maybe. I mean, I mean, that's 250, 300 miles from Lincoln. So, yeah. you, I mean, there's a number. There's a number of schools. I mean, you that, could
3: probably make it work, but
1: let's hope we're not there. Yet, yeah, but all
3: right, <laughs> I don't want to go down <laughs> that road just yet. When
1: we come back, we're going to talk Nebraska basketball. Kobe King no longer a part of things, but the Huskers added another piece hours after Kobe King's departure was announced. We'll talk about that with Robin Washed and more next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker
1: Online show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett as Talking some Nebraska basketball as uh, things continue to stay in the news. Last week we talked about the new schedule um, being finalized as far as the non-conference. Well, um, players have started to make their way to Lincoln, and there was one notable one that um, had not gotten here and, and started doing the voluntary workouts, and that was Kobe King. Um, and then it was reported and confirmed this week by Robin Washett and others that uh, King has decided to leave the uh, the, the program. Robin, and uh, first of all, your reaction on this. It sounds like with those kind of close to the situation, it was trending this way for a while, but still a, a very big blow uh, w- when you lose a guy that like Kobe King and what he was going to bring to the table.
2: Yeah, no question about that. And you know, to your point about this kind of being in the works for a while i think when june 6th hit um you know that was the kind of on un- i guess official start date for trying to get guys on campus uh to kind of get just offseason workouts going uh and, you know just get the ball rolling on that uh well kobe king was supposed to be here and he never made it um the <laughs> and it was funny all of his stuff was here you know he, he had his apartment all set up and it was all you know delivered and ready to for him to go he just wasn't here. And so, you know, part of that had to do with, um, you know, academic issues, you know, nothing on his part, but more so with the University of Wisconsin, uh, just their uh, kind of delay in completing his transcripts, getting them submitted to the NCAA uh, to where they can officially stamp that transfer. Uh, and, you know, that was part of the deal, but really uh, as the release that Fred Hoiberg, the little one one or two sentence paragraph he uh, sent out, uh, was basically this had more to do with personal stuff going on with kobe Uh, you know they didn't say what but uh, clearly he was having some stuff that he needed to deal with that went beyond basketball and that was a big reason why he never even made it to campus you know he could have been in lincoln uh you know still waiting for those transcripts to to get cleared but you know the fact that he never made it you know, that's a pretty good indicator that there's a lot more to this story than just, you know, not getting transcripts completed. So he, uh, you know, right now he's back uh, at home in Wisconsin uh, you know, with his family, uh, hopefully kind of figuring out the things he needs to figure out. And really, you know, everybody's asking where he's going to go next. I think the question is, you know, does he still want to keep playing basketball? Uh, I think there's a real question there uh, about, you know, his his basketball future and how much he really still loves the game. In comparison to other things going on in his life. So, uh, definitely a bad break for Nebraska. I mean, this is a guy that I projected to be in my preseason starting lineup. 10, Uh, 12 points a game. Yeah. I mean, he was, you know, one of the leading scorers on Wisconsin, uh, you know, averaging double figures a game. Uh, And so, that was a guy that has had as much. Big Ten experience as anybody on the roster, not named Thor, Thor Bjornarson. So, (laughs) uh, I mean, that's in itself kind of says that this is a massive hit. And luckily, Nebraska was able to get a pretty good Plan B. But uh, that's a blow to this uh, coming season's roster, no matter how you spin it.
1: So, would you be surprised if this is it for King? That he may not even play college basketball anywhere um, and join a program for the 2020-21 season? It would
2: not surprise me. um, Just kind of given you know what's kind of the, the rumblings going on just about why he never made it to Lincoln you know again I think that he's just got some stuff that um, are bigger priorities to him personally than playing basketball and I gotta I wonder if he's kind of maybe questioning if he still has you know maybe even the love of the game or drive to do all the things necessary to be successful at the Big Ten level um, you know obviously that is a major commitment and if you don't go in hundred percent, it's kind of just a waste of your time. So I think that's kind of where he is right now. Now, maybe things settle down, um, you know, just in, in the state of the world and uh, in, in a month or two, he's decided that he wants to get back into it and he's going to have plenty of options. He's, he's a good enough player that he will have no shortage of potential schools that would gladly take him if he wants, but. Where things stand with him right now, I think he's a ways away from being anywhere near that point.
1: You're listening here to the Husker Alliance show as we talk Nebraska basketball. And, Robin, you mentioned an addition uh, for the Huskers, and he will be arriving into town this week. Tell us more about how they quickly reacted to replace Kobe King.
2: Well, uh, so Kobe King's the, the statement was released at 11 a.m., On Friday, and at 4 p.m., I hit publish on a recruit commit update uh, on Elijah Wood, a guard, 6'6 guard from, um, I guess I currently enroll at Hargrave Military Academy out in Virginia. Uh, This is a kid that was formerly a four-star Rivals 150 player uh, going into the summer of 2019, I believe. But then he decided not to play AAU ball, and because of the just— lack of uh, chances to evaluate him. He eventually dropped out of the rankings and got passed up by other guys that you know our our services could could see. And so uh, I, don't, I don't think he got worse as a player. I uh, think he just didn't get the exposure necessary to remain in the rankings. And so you know here you are in the middle of June. You just lost a guy that uh, you know myself and many others projected as a potential starter next season. And you're able to turn around that quickly and get this type of addition. That is about as good of a a plan B if you want to call it that as you could potentially ask for so uh you know elijah's a guy that can play the one or the two you know i think primarily he's going to be a point guard uh he's a six six guy like i said who's long a good defender uh and you know he's i think the upside is really high there and the the questions though why was he still available well he was originally a 2020 recruit then he decided to take a post-grad year, which is why he ended up at Hargrave Military Academy uh, and reclassified to 2021. So that put him at three schools in three years. And then he committed initially uh, back in 2018, I believe, to Tulane. And Then they had their coaching staff that he committed to got fired and he decommitted and ended up committing to Rhode Island. And then things kind of just got messy there. I don't think he really uh, meshed well as he thought he would with the coaching staff there decommitted from rhode island and then so that was at the end of april and on may 1st nebraska offered him as a 2021 recruit and he you know was all in on it but then when the kobe king stuff started to kind of get you know more and more serious nebraska reached out and said hey would you have any interest in going back to 2020 and he said it took about all five seconds for him to think about that and said yes uh and he committed and now like you said he's on he's in lincoln right now so uh all things considered, you know that's a pretty good fallback.
1: All right. Well, and finally, Robin, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Take Kobe King out of it. Who is your projected starting five?
2: Well, so much of that has to do or depends on with Trey McGowan's if he gets that waiver, and Nebraska still feels good about his chances. I mean, obviously, he's going to go the COVID-19 route and basically say that he left Pittsburgh, which you know was one of the in one of the more highly effective regions in the country in the northwestern united States or northeastern united states and move to a much safer place in lincoln so that's kind of the basis of their waiver and with the ncaa they're going to be have thousands of similar types of waivers on their plate you got to imagine they're really going to be um lax on giving those things out especially compared to previous years so if he is ruled eligible he's definitely in the starting lineup so i got delano banton trey mcgowans teddy allen um Latman for now. And then um, oh, I'm missing somebody right now. I'm blanking Thor. No, not Thor. So I originally had Kobe King. So, yeah. So, all right. So you put put lat at the four and then maybe Ivan comes in at the five and you have a little bit bigger lineup. I think they were going to go guard heavy with Kobe King, but now that he's out of the equation, I think you probably get a little bit more size. So, yeah, I'll go. Ivan at the five, lat at the four, Teddy at the so-called three. Um, Trey at the two, Delano at the one.
1: And you see a guy like Thor just being a really, yes. really solid bench guy. He
2: will play a lot. He'll, He'll play a lot just a because guy. he's the most experienced guy on the roster, and he fits Fred's uh, basketball IQ requirements as well as anybody on that team.
1: Well, lots to follow, and Robin Washett has been on top of it more than anybody, so make sure you follow his work here on HuskerOnline.com. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Chad Simmons, uh, who broke the news on Gabe Urban's commit Uh, Chad joined me on the show here as he gave some insight on NU's latest running back commit and as well as the impact the Huskers have made in the state of Georgia. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. As we talked about earlier, the Huskers picked up another commit out of the state of Georgia as Uh, Running back Gabe Irvin uh, made it official, and we're pleased to be joined by the man that broke the news uh, on Gabe Irvin's announcement, Rivals.com, Southeast uh, Regional Analyst, Chad Simmons. Chad, uh, thanks again here for joining us. Uh, Really looking forward to a chance uh, to talk to you about Nebraska's recruiting down in Georgia.
4: Hey, glad to be here, Sean. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, yeah, let's get right down to it. Um, The Huskers picked up um, their second, um, and really they had a third guy uh, in Chris Paul as well from the state of Georgia. But uh, let's get right to Gabe Irvin, uh this is a kid that you're very familiar with. Uh you know, he broke his announcement. Um I, I think a lot of people were surprised it kind of came out of nowhere how and when this happened. Uh run us through a timeline of what you knew about Gabe Urban and why he picked Nebraska.
4: Yeah, you know, it even surprised me a little bit. Obviously, you know, he worked hard on the road, at least I do, is at building relationships and, and building that trust with different sources, including obviously the prospect himself and the people that are closest to him and Uh, You know, Gabe himself, you know, hit me up uh, probably week and a half or so ago, and kind of gave me a heads up that his mind was made up. And I I was somewhat caught off guard. He had talked about that he would like to make a commitment before his senior season. There was no guarantee in that. He was kind of holding out to see if he would be able to take visits again at some point this summer. That was obviously squashed through at least July 31st, and likely now not until the season to come. So. Uh, He just kind of went off what happened over, you know, the quarantine and uh, I guess the the bond he created with the Nebraska coaching staff. And, you know, he was high on other schools too. And, you know, Arizona state, Michigan state, uh, Duke, Georgia, were all in his top five. And I think just the connection he made, you know, through phone calls, you know, FaceTime, you know, the zoom calls now and everything happened with virtual visits. They had uh, video calls with his mom and his father and, you know, they had the trust the Nebraska staff as well, and he made up his mind a few weeks ago that Nebraska was the school he felt best about both on and off the field. They offer academically and then with the coaching staff, so um, that's what kind of led to his decision.
1: We're joined by Rivals.com, Southeast Analyst Chad Simmons talking Georgia recruiting now with Nebraska and you look like you look at a guy like Gabe Irvin, and even some of these other kids you cover in the state of Georgia. They've made announcements to go to these places like Nebraska without seeing it. Do you get the sense, Chad? A lot of these kids are are, are getting anxious, getting antsy. They feel like they might be left uh, without a seat at a Power Five table because you know, obviously, most of these kids want to go Power Five. They want to go to a good program, and when spots fill up, it allows these other Power Five programs, say like a Nebraska, to say, "Hey, you know, we want you, but we only maybe have the one." spot and if you want the one spot here uh, we got to hear from you sooner rather than later
4: yeah there's no doubt it's, it's been different for all of us obviously uh, us covering recruiting and football programs like you do at Nebraska and myself covering top recruits in the south I mean it's been different and these guys were planning to go on visits you know in March April May into the summer and Likely have a decision based on those trips. Instead, obviously, uh, like you said, they're getting squeezed a little bit. And I, I never heard that really from Gabe himself, but many other recruits have told me they're getting a little bit tired of the attention. You know, constantly being asked to call them. You know, basically every day, respond to every text message, uh, and just it just got a little bit old. They they like it at first, obviously the attention, it feels good. And but over time, when you got five, six, seven, even ten, twelve schools hitting you up daily multiple coaches and and feeling obligated to kind of respond to those texts or or call them or do FaceTime. They want to play Madden with you on the PS4 or something like that. It gets a little bit much and overwhelming for some of these kids. And they do want to kind of lock in their spot. But a lot of these guys also want to lock in that spot, but then also take visits, you know, when that time comes uh, this fall to kind of make sure of that decision. So I didn't hear that from Gabe. Gabe's a very low key kid. It's not about – uh, the drama, he doesn't love the spotlight on him all that much. Uh, yeah, he enjoyed today, and he enjoyed making that decision with us on video through um, you know, Zoom and with his family around him, and, and he definitely earned that. Uh, but he's not one that, I don't think, caught up too much in that, uh, what we're talking about as far as being squeezed, first thing, kind of lock in that spot. I think he just felt Nebraska – what was a great fit for him academically and athletically
1: yeah and, and you look at Gabe he's six1 Chad he's 205 pounds um describe his ability I mean you're familiar obviously with some of the other players Nebraska's landed from the southeast at running back particularly uh wh- what type of back is he how do you see him fitting into the Big Ten conference
4: you know I think when I think about Big Ten football I think about a guy you know like Gabe Ibert he's kind of that old-school SEC back you know that people Talk about down here. That's that's big. That's strong. That runs with power, runs through tackles. You know, he's not. He, he has good track times. He doesn't play quite as fast. Maybe as his track times lead you to think. At least not that I see. I've seen him live a couple of times. Obviously, I've seen a lot of tape on him as well. Uh, and and what I think plays in good for him, uh, in Nebraska down the road is he plays at one of the top programs in the country. So. He'll come out very well coached and prepared, uh, academically and athletically. He'll be, I think, very much prepared to compete for playing time. And then also this program at Beauford High School that wins, they won the state championship last year, won eight or nine in the last 15 years here in Georgia, and produce, you know, almost double digit guys every year that sign. Gabe will come out fresh. They have three or four running backs in that rotation. Uh, 21, 22, and even 23 guys played last year in the rotation. So he's not going to come in, you know, banged up, worn down. He's going to have a fresh body, fresh legs. He's a guy that I think is more of a, a north south physical style of running back. He's not that that new age spread guy that's going to, you know, go out in the slot or return kicks. He's not that type of guy. He's a guy you're going to feed the ball, uh, to and, and you know, second and short, third and short, inside the goal line, the red zone. Uh, that area. He's not going to be, to me, this the, the clear, you know, anytime he touches the ball, take it to the house type of kid. He's not that, at least not yet. We'll see him again, obviously, this year. Can He can definitely improve his explosiveness, his top-end speed, but he's a very strong guy, more of an upright runner, more of a one-cut type guy. Uh, But it got us very strong and very productive.
1: Chad, uh, you know, we saw it earlier in the week. You report on the news on Chris Paul, uh, Nebraska's former linebacker commit, reopening the process. Um, You know, the guy like Gabe, do Nebraska fans have to be worried about that? I mean, some of these kids haven't seen Lincoln. They don't know what it's all about. Um, you know, is there a chance some of these guys, like a Sean Hardy, like a Gabe Irvin, uh, two more Georgia guys in this class from Nebraska, uh, could they want to still take other visits during the season, if and when that time comes?
4: You know, Gabe seems pretty pretty solid. Same with Sean Hardy. You know, at, at the very when when Christopher Paul committed to Nebraska, uh, he wanted to take trips even the day he committed to Scott Frost and that coaching staff. I think they were aware of that. I know I was aware of that, and I just think, you know, even a few weeks into that commitment, I posted on your board on HuskerOnline.com that, you know, he's going to take trips. You know, he doesn't seem as solid as some other people do that have committed this spring. Uh, so his decommitment, you know, didn't shock me at all. The timing, you kind of never know what a kid's going to think and when he may do something like that. But it wasn't a complete shocker, I don't think, to me or, or really your true fan base as well on the website. Um, Christopher is different. You know, he always had interest in other schools. He's picked up new offers, one coming from Tennessee, where the old head coach at his high school is on that Tennessee staff now. So, uh, they have a, obviously a connection there, uh, with him, but it's not just Tennessee, it's other schools. And he always wanted to get out. He committed somewhat, like I'm calling a blind commitment nowadays, with these guys committing where they have not visited or stepped on campus to feel, you know, the vibe, the community, the academic uh, process there at each school so uh, Gabe seems you know again at this time he seems pretty set uh, on Nebraska the same with Sean Hardy both those guys are very low-key laid-back guys uh, that have very good family around them to help them make this decision so uh, right now it seems like Irvin and Hardy are pretty strong to Nebraska uh, they were not giving me the same type of feedback and vibe that Christopher Paul was when he committed to the Huskers.
1: A couple other Georgia guys down here, Chad. Uh, Miles Farmer, Quentin Newsom, uh, both are poised, I think, to get on the field. Um, they're really high on Miles Farmer. You hear any good nuggets or tidbits from the road on those guys uh, that Husker fans might want to hear?
4: Well, I definitely, you know, like Farmer coming out of high school, he's a versatile athlete, physical kid from, from right there around the Atlanta airport at Westlake High School. Uh, he, he's definitely a guy that's worked hard, I know, here in Atlanta. Uh, being back before going back to Lincoln and uh, in the offseason with the quarantine going on. Obviously, I know some guys he trains with just getting bigger, stronger. And I think his versatility, I mean, he definitely has the mindset uh, based on talking to people that train with him uh, to go in and make a big impact with Newsom, you know, that long rangy, instinctive defensive back. Again, both those guys come out of top programs like, you know, talking about, you know, Irvin from Buford, uh, and then Sean Hardy at Camden County, uh, you talk about Farmer from Westlake, uh, and you talk about Newsom from North Gwinnett. All, all those programs push out Power 5 kids year after year. They play great competition. They prepare you for college. Uh, so I expect big things. I think that's why Nebraska is trying to get more involved in the Peach State in Georgia. I think not just the athletes here, but the high school coaching uh, really, I think it is a step above a lot uh, around the country. So I think it prepares them for on the field and off the field as far as preparation academically in the weight room, the mindset, the mentality. Uh, and I think that's why Nebraska wants to come hard back into Georgia to pull, you know, if they can pull two, three, four a year that's going to really help their roster down the road.
1: Hey, well, Chad, I know uh, all of our subscribers on Husker Online are really grateful, really thankful for the contributions you've always given us. And once again, you delivered uh, the news, breaking the announcement on Gabe Irvin on uh, Rivals.com. So we appreciate you and your hard work and and thank you for the great coverage you you provided for all Nebraska fans on this announcement this week.
4: Oh, my pleasure, Sean. I mean, working with you guys, you know, yourself, you know, Nate Klaus. The bunch you have there at Husker Online. You couldn't put a much better team together and really kind of lay out the plan of how to successfully cover, you know, the program like Nebraska. So working with you guys is definitely a pleasure of mine.
1: Well, hey, thanks again, Chad. More to come here as we'll take your questions in the Husker Online
0: mailbag. Next, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. Thanks again, Chad Simmons, for joining us here on the show as we talked about Gabe Irvin, the Huskers' latest commit. And Nate will chime in on that as well here in our next segment. But I wanted to get to our mailbag guys as uh, lots of good questions this week in the mailbag. Um, And I took them out of our chat as we get a ton of great questions on Tuesday as we have by far one of the most active weekly chat you're going to see um, with Husker fans asking really intelligent questions and we try to bring some of those questions here on the show um, and first question I want to ask guys in the mailbag had to do with with the mini camp and losing spring football what do you think the coaches would prefer an extended summer fall practice like this year or having spring ball in a normal fall camp and my answer to that guys was I think they'd, they'd rather have the spring ball that's because you cannot – I mean, you get those 15 practices. And in Nebraska's case, with spring break worked into there, they get six weeks of, you know, practice. There's one week of spring break. Uh, but they go three days of practice a week over five weeks. They have three major scrimmages if you count the spring game. Um, and, man, you get so much out of those late scrimmages and spring ball that you're just not going to be able to probably get in a, in a mini camp. But a mini camp is a nice consolation prize.
2: Well, and would just having the extended – summer mean that players aren't doing anything from January to June? I mean, in, in that scenario, and if that's the case, then no way. That's way too long of a break. I think they'd like to space it out, keep guys on campus, keep them engaged within the program, uh, keep them in shape, uh, and, you know, being able to get 15 solid practices without the grind of, you know, playing a game. Uh, and so, yeah, I would say that the traditional schedule would be far preferred, but all the things considered of what's going on right now, you you certainly take the current calendar the way it is right now.
3: Yeah, I think they'd take whatever they can get at this point, consider you know considering the current situation. But I don't see any any way that they would uh, prefer this in the in the long term. Um, you know, in the way that they do spring ball now, when you know most schools are spreading it out over over six seven weeks. It, well, six
1: is the most you can have it over.
3: Yeah, so I mean that's I mean. You've got you've got your winter conditioning that runs into spring ball that runs into the evaluation period, and and next you know into summer workouts. I mean, it's it's pretty seamless the way it. You get a nice two three week break a day. Yeah, you get there's a couple built in breaks there for the players and. Um, you know, I, I think, like Robin said, you're keeping your guys engaged basically year round the way that it, that it traditionally is, and I think that coaches would prefer that. Well,
1: normally organized workouts would begin in early June, and this year they're not going to be- begin until mid July. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's no question a normal year is better. The mini camp's good, but it's really yeah. something they had to do. Um, next question, it's for Nate. What's your take, Nate, on Christopher Paul Jr. Do you think they can find a better inside linebacker than him to take that spot?
3: Yeah, so Chris, Christopher Paul Jr. decommits from Nebraska. Um, you know, he was, he's one of their inside linebacker commits. They're, they're going to take three this year. Uh, so now Nebraska has an open spot there. I think they can, at the very least, I think they can get someone similar to Christopher Paul Jr. Uh, to, to fill that vacant spot. Uh, I don't think that he will be coming back to Nebraska. You just don't see that happen very often where a kid – Commits, then decommits, then then recommits, if you will. So, but but I do think I think they're in on on a handful of players that are just as good, if not better, uh, than than Christopher Paul Jr. and and I'd fully expect them to you know to to possibly even um, you know upgrade in the long term.
1: All right, we're taking your questions in the mailbag. I'm going to alter this one a little bit because I think the answer is pretty obvious. Uh, the question framed to us was which was the best Husker team of the 2010s and everyone's going to agree the 2010 team was the best. I mean, that team got into the top five at one point, and that's the only week Nebraska football has been ranked in the top five since the 2001 season. Think about that, mm-hmm. um, that Colorado game that year um, back in '01. So who's the next best team after 2010? Um, you know, and there's a few ways you could go because 2016, they were in the top ten for a month. But I'll still say the 2012 team is the best team of the 2010s because they're the only team that's played for a Big Ten title. Um, they were favored to win the Big Ten title. They had beaten Wisconsin earlier in the year. And if not for injuries to Baker Steinkuhler and Justin Jackson at Iowa, I still would have liked Nebraska's chances in that Big Ten title game. I know they were blowing out, but that was a solid team you know, back in 2012 um, with guys like Rex Burkhead and Amir Abdullah and – you had Martinez, he was, he was the all Big Ten quarterback that year over Braxton Miller at Ohio State. Um, so I'm going to go 2012.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think that's the next obvious choice there. Like, given the level of talent they had, obviously they were lacking in some areas, particularly defensive line by the end of the year. But uh, you know, I think that that team had as much um, just overall talent level as any team Nebraska's had maybe since 2010.
3: Yeah, that's what you have to go for. I think is the twenty twelve team. They they won the what was it the legends. They went seven at, and at one in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's so I mean, if you're winning your division and playing for the Big Ten title, then I think I think that automatically qualifies you as as being one of the top ten or one of the top teams in the in that decade. So uh, I think that's where you have to go, but. I think what what may skew some people's opinion on that was just how badly the ending. Yeah, how badly it, it came uh to an end there. I mean that <laughs> Big Ten title game was an embarrassment.
1: Well, and but. this doesn't get enough credit about the two thousand twelve team. I mean, they went blow for blow with Georgia and Georgia was a play away from being in the BCS title game yeah. that year. I mean, literally, you watch that Nebraska Georgia game, there was not I mean, it didn't feel like Nebraska was outclassed. No. They 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 had Georgia on their hands and knees, breathing, and a fluke Amir Abdullah fumble. Yeah. Basically, you know, he 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 was tossing the ball to the referee so they could speed up the no-huddle offense, and they called it a fumble. And Nebraska was driving to take the lead there and win the game maybe. And um, so, yeah, that too gets forgotten, in my opinion, that they were toe-for-toe toe with a team that almost won the national title that year.
2: Yeah, and so, again, I mean, I think just as far as overall talent level, that's just – I mean, there, there's no question – and then we're also talking about a decade where the last four or five years have been absolutely atrocious. You don't even take those into consideration. It's a pretty small uh, number of options yeah. you even have to choose from. It,
3: it, the pool is fairly limited. <laughs> it's basically all Bose teams.
1: Yeah, I mean, Riley had the one team, but it just, the way they lost to Iowa at the end of the year and then obviously the Tennessee game, they just, they, they were playing Riker Fife and, yeah. you know, just didn't, you know, Derek Barnett ruined nick gates that team was a disaster we had fun in nashville though that was the the one consolation to
2: nick gates credit though he's got a chance to potentially start for my new york giants this year as a guard or center how about that
1: all right quick answer here in this one who are you guys most excited from to see from a strength and conditioning standpoint my guy is ty robinson
0: yeah why ty robinson
1: i just think his body his development um in one year i think he's gonna show a ton of gain so that's the guy year over year i'm really really intrigued to see his body and how it changes
2: i'll go uh obvious i'll go adrian martinez i thought he was too big a year ago and i want to see how he's reshaped that body to maybe be uh you know a little leaner uh closer to what he was at the end of 2018 and hopefully that can add some more dynamic element to his game
3: I am going – I'm going to cheat a little bit and pick a position group. I'm I'm going outside linebacker. I want to see Caleb Tanner. Um, You know, just if if he – has maybe added the mass that, that I think is required to play that position. Javen Wright, I've heard uh, unbelievable gains uh, with him who has moved from safety to outside linebacker. I've heard that he has maybe even grown an inch or two and is is up to close to 230 pounds. So you're talking 6'4", 230 plus right now. Uh, so I'm really interested in that. And then a guy like Blaze Gunnarsson who, is, uh, who, who came on campus early as a mid-year enrollee um, you know, I've heard that, uh, that he's been, uh, looking pretty good as far as gains go in the weight room. So, uh, there's, a, there's a couple players at that position where I think Nebraska needs a lot of production that, uh, I'm really interested to see, you know, what, how they look.
1: And final question, this can be any year of your time around Nebraska football, who is one player that you thought deserved more playing time, but didn't get it. My answer to that was Chris Brooks at wide receiver. Um, he ended up playing in the NFL, um, and was on some active rosters, if I'm not mistaken, um, and and for whatever reason, when he got limited chances, he made plays at Nebraska. But for some odd reason, um, he was in some sort of doghouse where he never got meaningful starting reps on Bo Pelini's early teams. Um, so Chris Brooks would have been the guy I wish could have gotten, you know, Kenny Bell type balls thrown his way to see what he would have been able to do.
2: There were a couple guys that got into that doghouse that ended up being pretty good players. Phil Dillard, I remember it wasn't yep. until like his senior year that he actually got to see the and field. And that changed the defense. And he was a fourth round draft pick. I mean, like so. Uh, I think in that chat, I answered Andy Janovich pre senior year because I mean we all saw he's an elite level talent that you know Nebraska hadn't seen at fullback in a long time. Think
1: about that UCLA game. They were playing Mike Marrow over Andy Janovich. unbelievable, and they gave Marrow like multiple third and one, fourth and one carries, fourth and, one, yeah. and they didn't get him, and it cost them the game.
2: People couldn't stop Andy Janovich when he was running, and A little freak.
1: Even C.J. Zimmer was on that roster, and they were playing Mike Marrow over both those guys. Yeah.
2: So yeah, I mean he got his due as a senior finally, but uh, those were th- at least two or three years that uh, were
3: totally underutilized. Yeah, my pick was Chris Brooks uh, as well. I mean, anytime you've got someone that that goes to the NFL and and sticks around the league for a handful of years um, and, and makes active rosters, I, I mean that's that's kind of mind blowing. Um, and I think, you know, I don't want to step out too far out of lane here, but I think there's a little something with uh, with Ted Gilmore involved with that whole deal. So, But anyway, I, you know, I, I think that's that's the my obvious guy.
1: A couple of random ones, too. You talk about Huskers that ended up doing something in the NFL that really didn't do much at Nebraska. Givens Morty Price or Givens Price, like he, he was in the NFL for a few years and like really wasn't a factor here. Um, Zach Stirrup. I mean, you think about – His senior year only got to start a few games, and he held on to the NFL a lot longer than most Husker recent linemen have. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can go down the line. There have been a few guys that, you know, you wonder if they would have just gotten, you know, things fall right for them, you know, what what they could have done at Nebraska.
2: Yeah, and again, I think there's, especially early on, especially during the Bo Pelini years, there were a lot of guys that were good enough to have a much bigger impact, but for whatever reason, they couldn't uh, get the trust of their coaches to see the field enough. I mean, remember, Levante David wasn't a starter to begin, you know, that season. It, it took Sean Fisher and yes. Will Compton
1: getting hurt.
2: So, And it's because they didn't trust him because they didn't think he knew the defense. Well, it turns out when you were a absolute freak of nature, you just go make plays. It's instinctual. <laughs>
1: yeah. You tackled the man with the <laughs> <Yeah>. ball. <laughs> and <laughs> he was very good at that. <laughs> Very, very good at that. I mean, some of those tackles he made on, like, Denard Robinson, I mean. Yeah. Like I remember, there were plays where Robinson was going to get like a seventy-yard run, and he would just lift his hand up. And
2: those were plays maybe two or three linebackers in the conference could make. And Levante David was one
1: of them. Penn State, two thousand eleven, he made three, three straight tackles. tackles. It was yeah. third and two, or second and two, third and one, fourth and one. He made all three tackles.
3: The straight and he in that fourth and one was it the fourth and one or third and one? He had no business making that tackle. And Penn
1: State was top ten. I mean, that was a good quality Penn State team. Granted, it was the day or two after joe paterno was yes. forced out but yeah. they were still a good team
2: yeah I and mean, goes to show you sometimes uh, talent isn't always the number one factor getting a player on the field yes
1: all right when we come back we'll close the show with some recruiting talk with nate klaus you're listening here to the husker online show
0: you're listening to HuskerOnline.com. your authority on nebraska athletics
1: final segment here of the husker online show sean callahan Nate Klaus, as this segment of the Husker Online Show is brought to you by our friends at Kugler Vision. Nate Klaus, tell us what we need to know about Kugler Vision.
3: Well, yeah, who doesn't like easy uh, things? And and right now, I I think everyone needs convenience in their lives, and what a better way to go to to improve your vision as conveniently as possible as Kugler Vision. I know that my experience there was so easy, quick, and and very convenient, uh, top-notch customer service. Uh, right now, you can book your private consultation at uh it, on their online scheduler right there and uh, just see how easy and convenient it can be to
1: improve your vision. Talking recruiting, Nate and the Huskers pick up a running back recruit. and you know We were trying to figure out when is the running back position going to come into shape for this recruiting class. Obviously, they need at least one, um, if not another one, um, and they pick up a commitment out of Georgia uh, from Gabe Irvin. Nate, tell us more about Nebraska's latest running back. Recruit. We just heard from Chad Simmons as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, Gabe Irvin, 6'1", 200, 205 pounds. Um, you know, he's, he's a big kid. He plays for a tremendous program in Buford, Georgia. Um, they, they're just coming off a state title. They are one of the favorites to win state uh, each and every year. They produce dozens of division one prospects on a on a yearly basis I mean it's a big time football program they get their guys eligible they their guys know football they know how to watch film they know how to train they know what it takes to to succeed and play at a high level and um, you know and and Gabe Irvin is a big reason why they won the state championship last year Um, to me when I watch him I, I, I see a tremendous inside runner, a north and south guy. He's, he's He's got a little wiggle to him, so he can make people miss – um, but he can also run over people, break tackles. Um, he has speed to, to rip off long runs. So I mean, there's an awful lot to like about Gabe Irvin, and, and I know Nebraska. He's he was at the very top of their board. I mean, they they think that he's somebody who's going to be able to come in and um, you know and kind of maybe even take the torch from a guy like uh, Dedrick Mill or Dedrick Mills. Um, as far as you know, being being maybe a, a power back or the inside running threat uh, that in their power run game.
1: You're listening here to the Husker Alliance Show, Nate. Now you look at the running back position. Are they done? Or will they? Or will they try to get more of that slasher that can do both?
3: Yeah, you know that's the big question: is is what happens next at that position? And I think that if, if – uh, you know, it all kind of depends on the numbers. I think that's the fluid thing about it all is that with a smaller class, they, they kind of have to pick and choose their spots, you know, and, and who's available at, at certain positions. You know, if you've got – just for an example, you know, if you, you've you got, uh, let's say, one spot left for sure at offensive line, but yet you've got two really, really good players that are wanting to jump in, uh, in the boat – um, you know, you might take both of those players and take one less at another position. So um, you know things are fluid and I think they're going to be fluid up until you know the class is, is pretty much done or up until it has just a couple spots left. Um, if they do take another running back though, I think it will be more that duck R type of player, somebody who can line up in the backfield as a running back, but also as a, you know, as a slot receiver, and as a as a wide receiver catching passes too, so um, you know that's the type of player I think they would like to add if they do in fact add another at the running back. Spot. And I
1: know I know we touched on this a little bit in the last segment of the mailbag, but with Chris Paul, does that automatically now just open another inside spot um, for him to go after an inside linebacker?
3: Yeah, so they we're planning on taking three inside linebackers this year and uh, and, and now that Chris Paul has left the, the recruiting class, I think that um, they, they would still like to add one more inside linebacker so, um, you know, the, the hunt is back on, I guess. And, and I don't know, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know if they ever stopped recruiting the position, uh, because Chris Paul has been talking about taking visits for a long time now. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm not saying Nebraska, I know they did not tell Chris Paul he had to decommit. They didn't, they didn't tell him, you know, to get lost or anything like that. As, as some people were kind of suggest suggesting, uh, but at the same time, I think they were pretty upfront with uh, with letting him know that, hey, if you're looking around, so are we, and, and we're going to continue to look around. And, and uh, you know, I think that, it, that he just kind of finally came to the realization that, okay, uh, if I am going to take visits, maybe I, I just need to completely open it back up. And so uh, there's a handful of players Nebraska has continued to, to stay in touch with that, um, you know, very well could fit that, that last spot.
1: And, Nate, a couple of guys on your future cast that you've got going to Nebraska, and we hit on this guy a little bit, but Christian Burkhalter, the outside linebacker out of Spanish Fort Alabama, uh, obviously, um, Nebraska has done well in Alabama, and Spanish Ford is an area they've gotten a player out of before.
3: Yeah, so uh, Christian Burkhalter, uh, you know, now that TJ Bowlers is officially off the board to Wisconsin, I, I think that that has uh, elevated Burkhalter to that number one outside linebacker on their board. Um, you know, and, and and I think that he's been kind of been that guy for a while now because the writing was on the wall with bowlers for quite a long time. And and honestly, I I don't know if there's much of a difference between the two. Um, you know, Burke Calder 230, 235 pounds. Uh, He's a tremendous player. He plays tight end and linebacker. Uh, Huskers obviously see him as an outside linebacker, um, and they've done a great job of positioning themselves to eventually land his commitment. Don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but I I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened here in the next week or two, Um, and that would be a huge pickup. He's a 5.73 star right now, but I think I would be surprised if he didn't end up as a four star by the time things were all said and done.
1: And then Marcus Mebo out of I said that right? Is it Mebo? Imbo, Imbo. I'm sorry, a Imbo out of Wisconsin, the offensive tackle. Um, you know, he's somebody I think a lot of people believe Nebraska is leading on, um, but it's just kind of how long does he want to string this out for?
3: Yeah, so Nebraska has kind of been in the lead with Imbo uh, for a while. He's, he, I feel bad for the kid because he's tried to get to Lincoln several times and. Um, you know, the, the first time was in January and for the first initial junior day and, and the blizzard happened, um, they had to turn back around when they were on their way to Lincoln. And then he had a, another visit set up for the junior day in March. And that was right before, or, you know, the, the date happened. Um, you know, it was right when all the COVID stuff happened and everything got shut down. Um, you know, and there's a chance that he takes a visit to Lincoln this summer, but just, to be on campus. Um, it would not have anything to do with football. They wouldn't be able to obviously uh, meet with the coaches or anything like that. But uh, if that happens, I think that Nebraska could very well add his had uh, his commitment to the list, but like I was mentioning earlier, you know, it depends on on the numbers. So, you know, how many guys can they take? Because uh, there's a, a couple offensive linemen that I think they're sitting pretty well with right now, um, but they can take one more for sure. But how many more are, are they going to take? So um, I like where they're at with Marcus and Bo, um, and if he does make that visit in the, in the summer, just to kind of be in, on campus and to, to take a look around the city. Lincoln, I uh, wouldn't be surprised if he went ahead and ended it.
1: And the way that recruiting alignment made it to me, it just seems like they never want to be in a position ever again where they're having to rely on first, second year linemen. They want to get old and stay old. Yep.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and they, I mean, they want to they want to recruit athletic guys that that can play multiple positions and and kind of bring those guys up uh, through through the program so they can eventually be two or three year starters. Um, instead of relying on on someone playing as a freshman or a redshirt freshman and and hoping that they pan out to be a, a four year starter, so um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I think that that's probably the position group that they've recruited the best since Scott Frost has gotten here. I, I think that. Uh, and you can make a case that maybe quarterback too, but I, I think the the job they've done, a kind of rebuilding and, and restockpiling the the pipeline, has, has been really really impressive. And maybe
1: a year from now, we're talking secondary in that same conversation. Yeah, it, yeah, and
3: it, secondary is right right there, not too far behind.
1: And then July fourth, Nate, I know Latrell Neville has said the four star wide receiver out of Houston that he plans to make an announcement. And he changes on that, and obviously we all think Nebraska is probably the team at this point.
3: Yeah, I think Nebraska is the team to, to beat right now. Um, and really I think they have been since he decommitted from Virginia Tech, uh, what, two or three weeks ago, or maybe almost a month ago now. So. Um, you know, I, I think that this is pretty much a done deal. You never know until, <laughs> until they come out with it, but you know, all signs are pointing to him being a Husker and, um, and you're talking about a, a four star wide out that's six, four 190 pounds and, uh, plays, you know, in a, at a tremendous school and at a high level in, in Houston. So, um, what's not to like about that, right? The
1: longstanding tradition of 4th of July commits yes. during <laughs> Nate Klaus's parties, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I think we've had three or four over the years, Nate. where... at least yeah. Um, the Thanksgiving, the Christmas, and the
3: uh, the worst was th- the worst year was uh, Freedom
1: Akamaladin. Yeah, there's like three.
3: Well, you had Monte Harrison, uh, Freedom Akamaladin, and then uh, Lorenzo Stewart, all boom, boom, boom. Right, you know, on the Fourth of July and the day after the Fourth of July. And I was um, I was in, actually in Texas on vacation and. <laughs> Had to had to, to cover those. So um so that was probably the the worst. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of recruits holiday commits. Yeah, holiday commits. Fourth of July, Christmas, uh, Memorial Day, you know, those those uh those holiday commitments are overrated in my don't opinion Don't they
1: know the news cycle they're losing out on? By doing it on a holiday, you know, most places aren't staffed up yeah, to really You would think so. Give it the full coverage uh, if I was a guy and I wanted the most exposure for my commit, I would make my announcement like Monday morning at like nine or ten a.m. Yep. And then you you kind of care you, you get you kind of get to be talked about for the entire week uh, versus a weekend or a holiday, etc. But lots to keep your eyes on. Nate Klaus and the team will keep you up to date. So make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska
4: athletics.